and musicians. We are a blessed church. Well, welcome to Christ Community Church. I'm Terry Allen, and I am Children's Ministries Director here, as well as Events Coordinator, and I want to warmly welcome everyone here and those who are watching online. We're, we're glad you joined us today, and what a wonderful song set, um, worshipful music. God is awesome. So I'm thankful you're here, and we will be passing out guest books. Our guest books actually are for everyone to sign. Let us know that you're here. Um, guests, we would love to send you just um, a letter of welcome, so let us know your address if you would like. And also, guests, we have a gift for you. At the welcome counter in the lobby, we have a book. It's not a big book, so those of you who don't enjoy reading. It's a small book, but it's called Why Did Jesus Have to Die? And I encourage you to pick one up. It, again, it's our gift to you for being here today. Something at the uh, guest counter that is not for guests, uh, but for regular attenders and especially members, mm -hmm. is a document uh, regarding changes to our constitution and bylaws that your elder board has been considering for some months. One of the authorities reserved to the congregation in our bylaws is any change to those bylaws. So next Sunday during the Christian Education Hour, 9 o'clock, we will, instead of having adult Bible fellowships, join together in the Christian Arts Auditorium for a congregational meeting where the elders will ask you for your approval on some suggested changes. Uh, this is important stuff. And so if you want to be well prepared for that meeting, stop by the counter, pick up the document. If we run out, as we did a couple of weeks ago, there's another stack on the desk in the office. So there should be enough to go around, and we'll have a few more available next week. But we urge you to come prepared, prayed up, and uh, ready to ask appropriate questions and uh, or take action on some of these suggestions. Um, anything else that we ought to be announcing today? Well, for one thing, Sunday school will be happening during that time okay. for babies through sixth grade. So during the nine o'clock, you can bring your children like every Sunday. We love teaching them. And I want to give a shout out to all the teachers here, to Sunday school teachers, Awana leaders, um, small group leaders, men and women's Bible study, YBF, ABF, Thank you for investing your time, studying God's word, preparing every week, and may God give you wisdom and insight as you prepare your lessons. Um, Vacation Bible School, we have registration forms, so if you want one, and you know you do, whether you want your children to come or you want to serve, it's a great week of ministry. So it's June 19th through 23rd, there's more information in the bulletin. I'm going to park out there today after the service, so you can find me at the table. Today, how many of you are so hungry after church like me? There is a luncheon today, it's a fundraiser for the Japan trip. Um, and it's right after church. It's up in our fellowship hall and gym. And we, would, we invite all of you, every single one of you that are here. We'd love to see you. Good. As usual, there's lots more that we're not talking about. You have to read the bulletin or go to the website, ccczion.org. And uh, we're glad that this is a busy place with lots mm -hmm. happening. Uh, we, didn't, we don't begin to have time during the worship service to underscore everything. Now it's time to turn our attention to God's word. Would you open your Bible or scroll, please, to 1 Peter chapter 5. We are nearing the end of a series on 1 Peter, 
called Resident Aliens. The uh, title reminds us that like Peter's first readers, we live here, but we belong primarily to a different kingdom. And so sometimes we don't quite fit with the surrounding culture. And Peter tells us how to live as resident aliens in this world. Today we come to 1 Peter chapter 5. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering, and one who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. I preached on that paragraph during a different series a few months ago. That series was Rediscover Church. And although I do sometimes repeat sermons that I've preached before, it's a little soon for that. So in this series on 1 Peter, we'll uh, trust your memory or you can go online and refresh your memory if you want to hear what uh, I had to say about that paragraph. Verse 5. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety, cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. On Mother's Day, I plan to start a new series related to the family, as I sometimes do, Mother's Day through Father's Day. In order to finish with 1 Peter before Mother's Day, there are some things that I can't take time to preach. So today we, we prayed, we sang about these lines, humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. Now in verse 8, we come to the sermon text for today. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered for a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Many of you know that I like to hike in Colorado. Some of you may know that at Many trailheads in Colorado, there are signs telling you what to do if you should encounter a mountain lion. Now, in 40-plus years of hiking out there, I have never encountered a mountain lion. I've seen many bears, although it's interesting that um, when the light gets better, those bears turn into stumps or rocks. Um, but I've never seen, even from a distance, a mountain lion. But I know why those signs are there. Lions are there. In fact, the lion is 
the number one human predator in the United States. And so uh, you're warned. Author and naturalist Craig Childs was doing some research in a wilderness area of Arizona. And as he approached a waterhole, he saw a lion drinking. So he held back. The lion did not see him. When the lion was finished drinking, it walked off into a clump of junipers. So after a few minutes, Childs walked over to the water hall to examine the, uh, the lion's footprints in the mud. But before bending over, he scanned the perimeter. And there in that clump of junipers, he saw eyes. He thought that the lion would probably just walk away, but it didn't. It came out of the junipers and started to walk toward him. So Craig Childs took out his knife, stared eyeball to eyeball with the mountain lion. He knew what he had to do and what he had not to do. Would you know? Do you know what to do about the lion that is stalking you? Peter says your adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion, prowls about looking for someone to devour. You can't see him, but he's real, and he's there, and he wants to eat you. How would he do that? Well, let me give you the Reader's Digest version on how our adversary attacks us. Many books, some of them long books, have been written on this subject. This is going to be a brief summary, just uh, two points, really, on how the enemy attacks us. Suffering and sin. In your imagination, picture the jaws of the lion, and these are the two jaws, suffering and sin. Now, Peter doesn't spell it out that way, but if I'm going to give you two points, maybe it's more helpful to envision the jaws of the enemy instead of, now, Roman numeral one and Roman numeral number two. <laughs> picture these jaws of the lion, suffering and sin. Suffering includes persecution. The devil hates God and hates God's people and so inspires devilish persecution against them. And this may have been uppermost in Peter's mind when he wrote this paragraph because persecution has been, if not in the foreground, in the background throughout this epistle. His congregation was experiencing persecution. And it was about to get worse. You read the book of Revelation and see how the devil there portrayed as a dragon attacks God's people with satanic, deadly persecution. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, the apostle Paul tells the Christians in that city that 
he really had wanted for a long time to visit them in person instead of just communicating by letter, but that he had been prevented time and time again. He said, Satan stopped us. How? Opposition. Jail. Persecution. And Paul suffered another form of satanic attack, pain. If suffering is one of the lion's jaws, imagine two big canine teeth, persecution and pain. <coughs> Paul wrote to the Corinthians about his thorn in the flesh, uh, a messenger of Satan, he called it, and Many, if not most, scholars believe that Paul was referring to some kind of physical problem. Certainly, in the Gospels, we encounter demonized people who are afflicted with deafness or seizures or paralysis, all of which have, of course, physical causes, but the devil can use the physical world, and that's why in Luke 13... We read about Jesus healing a crippled woman whom he describes as bound by Satan for 18 long years. He wasn't talking about her sin or unbelief, but her affliction. And it's interesting that in the gospel accounts of demonization, people are not viewed as notorious sinners, but as sufferers. And Jesus didn't rebuke them for devilish behavior, he healed them. Their suffering, their pain, is the lion's work. But sin is right up his alley too, and that's the other jaw, if you will, suffering and sin. And in talking about suffering, I invited you to imagine two fangs, persecution and pain, uh, here, too, when talking about sin, think of these two canine teeth, temptation and deceit. Temptation. Right from the beginning, the devil has been tempting people to sin. He got Eve to sin in the Garden of Eden. In John 13, we read that Satan entered into Judas. In Acts 3, the Apostle Peter rebukes Ananias and Sapphira for lying to the church and says that Satan has filled your heart. Temptation. It's one of the lion's fangs. But we do have to be careful not to lay too much responsibility for temptation on the enemy. The Bible also says that we sin when we are led away by our own sinful desires. Uh, we, we can't say as an excuse, the devil made me do it. Or the devil made you do it. <laughs> Cynthia, not her real name, is one of those Christians whom counselors will occasionally encounter who sees demons behind every bush. In fact, uh, Cynthia once cast demons from her toaster when it didn't work. <laughs> well, more seriously, she and her husband Andrew had a remarkable 
and remarkably destructive way of arguing with each other. For the first few minutes, they would argue like normal husbands and wives do, but at a certain point when the, turn, the, the um, fighting got nasty, they shifted gears and wheeled in the heavy, heavenly artillery. They would bind, rebuke, and attempt to cast out demons of anger and pride and self-righteousness in each other. In Cynthia's words, I saw the demon looking out of his eyes, glittering and murderous. So I said, demon of anger, I bind your power in Jesus' name. And then I claimed the power of Jesus' blood as my cover from all demonic assault coming through my husband. Well, predictably, that way of handling problems only made them worse. <laughs> Satan tempts, yes, but that doesn't absolve us of our responsibility, and it doesn't mean that we cast demons out of sinners. Again, Jesus' ministry of deliverance was one of healing the afflicted. Well, here's another fang in the jaw of sin. Deceit. Temptation and deceit. The devil, Jesus said, is a liar from the beginning. He deceived Eve in the garden. In Jesus' parable of the sowers, uh, the sower and the soils, he says that the evil one snatches away the word of God from people's hearts. He doesn't want them to know the truth. He has, Paul writes, blinded the eyes of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. False teaching is called the doctrine of demons. So counterfeit religion, false philosophy, lies, deceit, it's the devil's work. Temptation and deceit. Sin, one jaw. Persecution and pain. Suffering, another jaw. This is what the lion does. Now, do you know what you're supposed to do when you encounter the lion? Peter has posted a sign at the trailhead. Here's what you're supposed to do, he says. First, be self-controlled and alert. Verse 8. Be self-controlled and alert. Let me start with alert because some of us need to be alerted to the reality of Satan. For every Christian like Cynthia who errs in one direction with an unbalanced fascination with the demonic and the supernatural, there are probably ten Christians who are scarcely aware of Satan's existence. If they think about him at all, they might think about him as a kind of a joke. There's a book that came out a number of years ago. It gives you instructions on what to do in dire circumstances. It's called The Worst Case Scenario Survival Handbook. Maybe some of you have seen it or bought it. Millions of people have. It covers every kind of situation you can imagine. How to perform an emergency tracheotomy. How to respond if you jump out of a plane and the parachute doesn't open. 
what to do if you encounter a mountain lion. Now, interestingly, the book is written straight. It actually includes advice from experts in their field, the best advice on what to do in these situations, but nobody buys the book for that advice. It's sold in the humor section of bookstores as a joke. And that's the way a lot of people view what the Bible teaches about Satan as something not to be taken seriously. They might, if they imagine themselves in Craig Child's shoes, seeing the eyes in the juniper and being spooked at first, but then thinking, oh, what an imagination I have, eyes in the bushes, such superstition. And they bend over to the drink, and the next thing they know, they're being devoured. So believe what the Bible says about the enemy. Heed the warning signs. Be alert. Keep your eyes open. The Christian life is not a slumber party. It's a jungle out there, and the lion is for real. And if you should find your spiritual disciplines slipping, Bible reading, prayer, corporate worship, you may very well be dozing off. Or if you're making compromises with temptation, you may be getting careless. Craig Childs writes, the mountain lion moves to my left, and I turn, keeping my face on it. It paces to my right, trying to get around on my other side. I turn right, staring at it. My stare is the only defense I have. Be alert and be self-controlled, verse 8. This is the third time in this epistle that Peter says, be self-controlled. Now, if, like the original hearers, you were listening to this letter being read in a worship service in its entirety, you would have heard three times, be self-controlled with just a couple of minutes in between. Be self-controlled, be self-controlled, be self-controlled, and it would probably occur to you that this must be important for people who are being stalked by a lion. Peter doesn't say to a struggling married couple, cast the demons out of your spouse. He says, be self-controlled. That means you don't retaliate when provoked. You control your temper. It means you don't blurt out the hurtful words that come. You control your tongue. And Peter doesn't say to persecuted Christians, discover which territorial spirits hold your town in bondage and claim authority over them. He doesn't say, bind Satan. He says three times, be self-controlled. Be self-controlled and alert. <coughs> and Peter says, resist him. Resist the devil. Verse 9. Mountain lions are known to take down animals six or seven or 
eight times their size. Their method is they attack from behind, clamp onto the spine at the base of their prey's skull, and snap the spine. Those top few vertebrae are the target. They house respiratory and motor skills that cease instantly when those cords are cut. Mountain lions have been known to stalk humans for miles. But you can and should resist. I mentioned the signs at the trailheads. You know what those signs say? First of all, walk with somebody. And that's good advice for our spiritual walk as well. We need each other. We don't do this alone. We walk with somebody else through this life. And then, two, the advice is um, to make yourself look big. If you're wearing a jacket, spread it out. Don't crouch. Don't curl into a ball. Make yourself look like a, a tough target. And if, despite your efforts, the, uh, the lion attacks anyway, fight back, punch, use a rock. Sometimes all you'll have to do is stand. Childs writes, I hold firm to my ground and do not even intimate that I will back off. If I run, it is certain I will have a mountain lion all over me. If I give it my back, I will only briefly feel its weight on me against the ground. The canine teeth will open my vertebrae without breaking a bone. Stand firm in your faith, Peter says. In Ephesians, the class, Ephesians 6, the classic text on spiritual warfare, Paul says four times, stand, 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 stand. There's nothing weird, supernatural, or spooky about this. You don't have to be an expert in demonology. You just got to stand your ground. Which means you pray, meditate, worship, trust and obey. Stand down the lion. When James writes about resisting the devil... He doesn't say anything about naming the demons, no mumbo-jumbo. He uses his whole letter to describe what resisting the devil looks like. And you know what it looks like? Prayer, taming your tongue, controlling your anger, practicing what you preach, caring for the poor, don't boasting, praying. In other words, the normal Christian life, just don't quit. Stand firm in your faith. And you know what? Listen to James 4, 7. This is good news. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Childs maintains that defense as the mountain lion continues to try to provoke him to run. Turning left, then right, back and forth again, now just 10 feet away. Ten feet away. But finally, the standoff ends. The lion turns and walks away, defeated by a man who knew what to do and what not to do in its presence. Resist the devil, 
and he will flee from you. Stand down the lion. Knowing, verse 9, that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kinds of sufferings. Now why does Peter say this? Because misery loves company? <laughs> no, I think he's saying something similar to what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10. No temptation has come your way except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you're able to bear, but will with the temptation also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. God is not going to allow you to experience some kind of temptation that nobody in history has ever experienced. What you are facing, others have faced many, many times down through the centuries, and many of them have faced successfully. So don't be paralyzed by fear of the lion. Don't, don't figure that you're facing something that nobody else has ever had to face before. Do what others have done. Stand them down. And, verse 10, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power or the dominion forever and ever. Does that sound familiar? It should. I've turned it into a benediction and used it throughout this series. But it isn't in Peter's use a blessing. It's a statement of fact. It is not by our power that we defeat the lion. God's is the power forever and ever, he says. God is so powerful that he actually takes the devil's attacks and turns them to his good and his glory. Pain? Well, sometimes it's satanic in its origins, but God can use pain sometimes to make his children more like Jesus. Persecution, bad stuff, but sometimes it prompts the church to grow. Sin, God can even use sin as when the forces of hell conspired to put Jesus on the cross. And by that cross, God saved the world because he's the God of all grace. You could almost, almost feel sorry for the lion. Hymn 151 reminds us it's the power of God and not our own that defeats the enemy. A couple of comments. You may remember singing this great hymn before, 151, and those lines, the prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Well, the writer Martin Luther doesn't say what that one word is. 
The point is that Jesus, our champion, does not have to struggle and battle against the enemy. All he has to do is speak a word, and the devil is defeated. In that hope, let's affirm our faith in these words, 151, and we'll stand as we sing.
now may the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen.